Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast, where you'll find fresh messages uploaded weekly. Pathway Church is a Bible-based church located in Peterborough, Ontario, and we're on a mission to reach people far from God and see them become devoted followers of Jesus. We hope that what you hear today will help you to take one step closer to Jesus. Thanks so much for joining us, and if you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Welcome back. If you weren't with us last week, we kicked off a three-week message series all about calling. We're talking about what it means to be called uh, by God. Now, personally, I believe that every single person listening to the sound of my voice, I don't care if you're 10, 20, 30, 50, 80, that you have a call of God on your life, that God, the God who created you and me, is calling us into something. Uh, Not only is he calling us to do something, but he's calling us to be someone and, uh, and so, again, you may have a different viewpoint. You may think to yourself, well, you know, I came from nothing, you came from nothing, and therefore we're, our purpose is nothing. Maybe that's the worldview you have, but I would challenge you to ask the question of why is it that in your heart, because everyone I've talked to would say, hey, in my heart there is this, there's this longing, there's this desire, there's this idea, even from the time the kids are very little, that there is a purpose, that they are created for a purpose, that there's something important for them to do. And some may think, well, that's just something that's inherent. It's, we've evolved with it. But I believe it is distinctly the call of God on the lives of men and women and children all around the world. And so last week, as we kicked the series off, we talked about this idea that there is no calling without a caller. And so if there is something that you and I are uniquely called to do with our lives, called to be in this lifetime, then it's because there is a creator. There is a God who has called us. And it's amazing to me how often we try to find the thing that we're supposed to do with our life, and we try to find our calling without first seeking out the caller. And that's ridiculous, because if we find the caller, he will lead us right into our calling. Last week, we looked at how Jesus called uh, Peter and his brother Andrew from the boat to be his disciples. And some of you will remember this. His call was, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Our responsibility, we learned last week, is to answer the call to follow Jesus, to make him our everything. And when we do that, when we're willing to let go of our nets, he will lead us exactly where he wants us to go. We said this last week, that the call of God is first and foremost a call to relationship with him. And so this week, as we continue this conversation, I want to talk about this idea that the call of God is more about who you are than what you do. Let me say it again. The call of God is more about who you are than what you do. Now, I know that when we think of the calling of God, most of us are trying to figure out what we're supposed to do with our lives. And that's important. In fact, next Sunday, we're going to focus in on how you find the the unique and special thing that God has called you to do with your life. So that's going to be exciting. And the teens are going to lead that service. It's going to be great. But today, I want to talk about who you are. I want to talk about who I am. I want to talk about our identity as people. We, we learned uh, last month in Carrie Newhoff's series that character actually is more important than our competency. That for most of us, we want to focus in on the what we do and how well we do it, but God is way more interested in our character, developing who we are. And, and I've discovered in my life that, that having the right character will actually lead you right into your calling. If you're the right person, God will lead you exactly where he wants to go. Sometimes we want to just find the thing that we're supposed to do, and when we get there, our character isn't strong enough to keep us there. If we find Mr. or Mrs. Wright, 
if we find the perfect job, if we build the, the dream business, if we get all the money that we were seeking for and our character isn't strong enough, if we're not following our creator, the caller, uh, then we end up messing up everything. And so here's a question. Who has God called you to be? Who has God called me to be? I mean, who has he called you to be? It's a great question. And, and here's why it's so important, because I believe that identity, identity drives behavior. There was an interesting study uh, that Professor Gary McPherson did uh, a couple decades ago. They actually wanted to see what it was that made young kids excel and, and continue in music, to become musicians. And so they actually took a whole group of kids, all from their very first music lesson. Some of you at home, maybe you took piano lessons as a kid for a few months, a few years, and now you forget all of it. And they were tracking all these kids from the very first lesson all the way through high school, trying to figure out what causes some kids to successfully become musicians and others to give up along the way. And they, they tested all kinds of things and interviewed the kids. What's interesting, though, is in the end what they discovered was the identity that the children embraced. So, for example, little four-year-old Johnny sitting down at the piano from the very first lesson, he was like, I'm a musician. And if he believed or she believed that they were a musician, it didn't matter if they practiced a lot or a little. That identity, I'm a musician, drove them to love it and to do it. And ultimately, they carried on in music. Some of the kids who were actually talented at it, who were disciplined but didn't believe they were musicians, fell off somewhere along the way. And that's true for us in life. What we believe of ourselves actually drives our behavior. It's one of the reasons why I think it's so dangerous to slap labels on little kids, right? Because sometimes the label will actually define where they end up. And that's not only true of kids, it's true of us as adults. The labels that we, that we grab a hold of and that we stick on ourselves or that other people stick on us will actually determine many of the things we do. So the question is, as we talk about calling, what has God said about you and me? Who has he called you to be? Who has he called me to be? So that identity that he gives us could actually fuel our behavior in the things that we do in our lives. Um, well, for many people, um, God's calling, when you think about the calling of God on a person, is often thought of as a special thing. In the Old Testament, uh, there were sort of three special calls that you see. Uh, there's the prophet, and prophets went around the nations speaking the words of God to the people, to the kings. Uh, there were also priests, priests and Levites. They were a special tribe set apart for service to God, to to represent God to the people, and then there were kings. So you got prophets, priests, and kings. And those were special calls. There were these individuals with special access to God, special calls, and then there were the rest of us. It was them, and it was us. And often, uh, many times, we think about uh, faith in that way. Uh, many people attend church, and they think, well, there's the pastor up there, there's the elders, there's, there's the lay people, there's these different classifications of Christians. They're up there, and I'm down here. It's them and us. And we make these divisions of sacred and secular. And I'm hoping today and next week as we continue to talk about this idea of calling, that we can begin to break down some of those barriers where people think that I just go and do regular stuff and it's not spiritual. And I want you to see that it is spiritual. In fact, what I want to do is go back to Exodus chapter 19. And in Exodus chapter 19, beginning in verse 5, what we find is God is telling Moses his plan. God says, this is what I want. This is what I want for my people. Let's look at it together. It says this in Exodus 19, verse 5. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, 
you shall be my treasured possession. God says, hey, if you will follow me, if you will turn to me, you will be my treasured possession. If you're sitting with somebody, turn and tell them, I'm a treasure. And I hope that they'll agree with you as you do so. You'll be my treasured possession among all the people, for all the earth is mine. And then notice verse 6. This is so incredible. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you, Moses, will speak to the people of Israel. So God says, Moses, tell my people, here's the plan. I want an entire nation of people who are priests unto me, who are holy and set apart unto me. That's my desire. Tell the people. Well, Moses tells the people. He gives them the Ten Commandments. And in the next chapter, God is going to descend on the mountain. And he's going to reveal himself to the nation of Israel. Say, here's who I am. Watch what happens in Exodus 20, verse 18. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And look what they did. They stood far off. God was calling them to himself and they went, no, you're too holy. No, you're too powerful. We're scared. We're going to stay back here. Look at this in verse 19. It's powerful. And they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen. And do not let God speak to us lest we die. In other words, they said, we want you, Moses, to be a mediator. And a mediator is somebody who is between two people. So you have God up here and the people down here. And they're like, Moses, you stand in the middle. Whatever God tells you, you tell us. Whatever we tell you or bring to you or request, you bring it to God. So Moses, you're going to be in the middle between us. And that wasn't God's original intent or plan, but that is the way it had to be until Jesus came. But I'm getting ahead of myself. So what happens at the time of Moses is God institutes, he takes an entire tribe, the tribe of Levi. So all of Levi's descendants in the nation of Israel, one tribe, became separated or set apart to serve the Lord and to represent the Lord to the people. And these were called priests and Levites, and they were all descendants of Levi. I mean, if you were a descendant of Judah or Gad or one of the other nation, or one of the other tribes, you could not apply, you could not become a priest or a Levite. You had to be born into that family. And, and so what happened was God set apart one tribe that would be set apart to him. And I got an image, you know, of, of an ancient, you know, high priest and, and, and some of the priests around him. So there's, there's an image you can see there. Okay. Uh, they had special clothes. They had special access to God. Uh, here's a number of things you need to know about priests, particularly. Uh, they were to live holy lives, like more so than the regular people. They were to literally set an example of what it meant to honor and please God. Uh, they, number two, stood in the gap. So they would take the requests, the prayer requests from the people and bring them to God. They would take the sacrifices that the people were making for their sin and present them to God. Uh, they would stand between God and his people. That was their job. They stood in the gap. Third thing they did, they studied and taught the scriptures. So, right? so they lived among all the other tribes, and they, these priests and Levites would literally teach the people what God had said and encourage them in the Scriptures. Uh, they would offer sacrifices, as I said, and they would also discern the will of God. Um, there's some cool ancient history around this. Um, the priests uh, would have something called the Urim and the Thummim. All right? and, and we're not exactly sure how it all worked, but we see references to it throughout the Old Testament. The priests would have uh, some sort of a pouch behind uh, the priest's vestment and inside the pouch would be some small smooth stones and we're pretty sure one of them was black and one of them was white and so people 
the regular people would, would approach a priest and say, I need direction from the Lord on a matter. Would you help me? And so the priest would help them discern the will of God. And it seems as though how they would have done it, according to Jewish tradition, is they would have inquired of God, God, should this family do this? Should they go to war? Should this happen? And they would reach into the pouch and they would pull out a stone. And the priest didn't know which stone he was going to pull out. But if he pulled out a black stone, the answer is no. God is not with you. This is not good. If he pulled out the white stone, it would be like God saying, yes, this is good. Go ahead. I'm with you. What's so cool about that is if you read the first few chapters of Revelation, you find Jesus saying to the churches, to those who overcome, I will give you a white stone. Isn't that cool? What Jesus is saying is like, for you who are faithful, for you who overcome, I'm going I'm to affirm you. I'm going to say yes to you. I'm going to give you that affirmation. And so the priests were very highly regarded in that day. I mean, people looked up to the priests. The priests had special access to God. And, and the regular people did not. And honestly, sometimes I think that um, within the church community, we, we stumble into this same way of thinking. Um, again, as I said earlier, church staff, elders, leaders, preachers, evangelists, uh, those special roles within the church are often looked upon like they're in another category altogether as far as who they are before God, that we think of them like priests, right? So here's an image, you know, uh, where you know, thanks to uh, Photoshop, I was able to stick my face in there. So that, that's me, okay? That's me looking like a high priest, and people think of me that way. In fact, last weekend, I went golfing with a friend, and this friend of mine invited one of his friends, and so I got to meet somebody new. And I think it was second hole, you know, ball went into the woods, and this guy was like, bleep, 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 and then he realized, oh, no, I'm golfing with a priest. I'm golfing with a reverend. You know, he turned to me. He says, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry this happens. And then he said, uh, what, what do you go by? Is it, is it minister? Is it, is it reverend? What do you like to be called? And I thought about saying honorable lordship would work, but I didn't. Um, I said, no, just, just call me Nathan. Just call me Nate. It's good. Um, but, it, but it's like in people's minds, they're like, oh, this person's a pastor. So they're like a holy set apart person. And I'm a normal person. And so there's this huge distinction. And what I want you to see today is that when Jesus came to this earth, he actually broke down some of those distinctions that we think about. And in fact, the New Testament teaches some radical things, some radical things that were major shifts from the Old Testament and the Jewish law and system. And Jesus broke down those walls and set up some incredibly uh, new changes. Here's, here's two of them, two among many. The first one is this. Jesus becomes our high priest and mediator. So in the Old Testament, the Jews would go to a Levite, to a priest, to the high priest, and there was this, this hierarchy to get to God, and you went to a mediator who was between. What we're saying now in the New Testament is that Jesus becomes our high priest and mediator, yours and mine. Let me show you a few passages quickly. Hebrews 3 verse 1 says this, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, so we all share in this same calling, God will ask us to do different things and in different ways and different roles, but we all share in this calling. Consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. Now this is radical, because what this means is, you don't have to come to me to get to God. You go to Jesus to get to God. There is no hierarchy, no system, no church governance that is between you and God. It's, it's you to Jesus and straight to God. This is incredible. This is radical shift. Hebrews 4.14 says this, since we have a great high priest, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. 1 Timothy 2, verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator 
between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. These passages are saying the same thing over and over again. We don't go, you don't come to Pastor Nathan to get to God, you go to Jesus to get to God. Each and every one of us has the same access. You have just as much right and just as much access to your Heavenly Father as I do, and I'm the pastor. We are connected to Christ, who is all of our high priests, and he is the mediator for all of us. The implications of this are absolutely astounding. It means you don't need me to get to God. You don't need me. You don't need Jason and the worship leaders to worship God. You can worship God in spirit and in truth. You can worship God in the shower, in your car, with your family. You don't need special worship leaders, special music, or organs. You can worship God wherever you are because you have a high priest and mediator. You don't need rules, protocols, and hierarchies. You have direct access through Jesus. Isn't that good news? So this is one incredible change from the Old to New Testament. Here's the second, and it follows. Number two, each person in Christ, so every person who's following Jesus, committed to him, is called to be a priest unto God. This is, this is let me show you in, in Scripture, and then we're going to talk about the implications. 1 Peter 2, verse 9 says this, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Peter says, this is who you are. You are a chosen race and a royal priesthood. Did you know that you are called to be a priest unto God? If you're sitting with somebody, just turn to them and like, did you know you're sitting next to a priest? <laughs> right? And then if, you, if they said that, you can say, oh, your eminence. Or you can say, you know what? You're sitting next to a priest as well. Okay? And here's the thing. Peter says, this is who you are. This is your identity. You're a priest. You're a chosen people before God. And, and the second thing he says is that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. So what Peter is saying is because you're chosen, because you're a, a royal priesthood, you're actually going to leave darkness. You're going to leave sin behind. You're going to leave old ways of thinking behind. And you're going to move towards the light. Not because you get in trouble if you're over there, but because you are chosen, called a priest before God. So it's your identity. It's like, this is who I am. This is who God called me to be. Is actually motivating your behavior. This is powerful stuff. And, and honestly, um, the New Testament is very clear and emphatic about this. In the first hundred years of the church, this was the message that was taught. And what happened was, um, after the apostles died, other church leaders began to go, you know what? The old temple system with with, um, with uh, Levites and priests. That was a pretty good way of doing it. And they started to implement those things back into the church. And over the second, third, and fourth century, we see many of these old institutions that Jesus came to dissolve reappear within the church. It wasn't until the 16th century when we have uh, what is called the Reformation. And some of you have heard of the Reformation. The Reformation, they said, let's come back to the Scriptures. Like, what did the New Testament and the apostles teach? They taught Jesus is our mediator and high priest, and each and every one of us is a priest. This is called the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers. And, and this is one of the foundational doctrines of the Reformation. And what had happened is through the centuries, the church had gone back to sacred and secular. The church had said people can no longer directly access God. They've got to come through us, and we'll, we'll ask some money. Uh, we'll, they'll have to come to us to get forgiveness of sins. They'll have to come to us to get baptized, to have communion. And they began to create these layers that Jesus had come to dissolve. Now, I'm not against the Catholic Church or any other church system. 
But these reformers said, what about getting the Bible back into the hands of the people? What about if people could open up these scriptures and hear what Jesus died to accomplish for them? And so they began to print the Bible in languages that people could read. You have no idea how big of a deal this was. In fact, many people like, like Tyndale died to translate the Bible into the English language or translate the Bible into a language that people could read. And, and, and so um, this is a radical shift from the Old Testament. It's a radical shift maybe from some more orthodox church settings that you've been in. But God says, hey, Jesus is your high priest. He is your mediator. And you and I are called to be priests unto God. So as I begin to wrap things up, here's what I want to do. I want to talk about what we're called to do as priests unto God. Now, that's a good question. You say, okay, if I'm a priest and you're a priest and God's called us to be his priests, then what does that that mean? Well, let's talk about it. Number one, priests were called to live a holy life. They were called to live a life that was set apart unto God. Uh, They were called uh, to live a life that pleases him. And if you and I are priests, then we are called to do that as well. We're not not doing bad things because we'll get in trouble. We're actually doing good things. We're moving towards the light because we are his called and special people. That we want to we want to know him. We want to be like him. We want to please him. That's what the priests, they, they, they represented God to the people. And, and so you and I are called to live a holy life. And that means, you know, honestly, when you and I go to, if you go to your workplace, your school, with your friends, you represent God to those people in the same way the priest did. You may be the only Jesus someone sees at your workplace this week. You may be the only Jesus that people see in your school. So you're living a holy life as, as a way to reflect what God has done in your life and who he is. And that was one of the roles of the priest. And so you have to ask the question, what does it mean for me to live a holy life? What does it mean for me to live a life with nothing hidden? To live a life that people can look at and see something of God. That's one of the things a priest was called to do. Here's number two. Priest was called to stand in the gap. Remember we talked about how priests would stand between people and God. Well, in the same way, you and I are called to stand in the gap. If you're a parent, you are called to stand in the gap for your children. You are called to not only reflect God's goodness and his teaching and his law to them, but you're also to, to stand in the gap to pray for them. And honestly, it's so easy for people, especially within the church, to become critical. You go to work, people are doing stuff you don't approve of, the Bible doesn't approve of, and it's easy to be critical of them. But what about praying for them? What about standing in the gap and falling on your knees before God and saying, God, they know not what they do. Forgive them. God, would you reveal yourself to them? And and you take the position of a priest before God and stand in the gap for those. Stand in the gap for your children. Stand in the gap for your spouse. And pray and ask God to move on their behalf. That's the role of a priest, and he calls us into it. Here's the third thing. We're called to study and teach the scriptures. It's easy for people to get into this habit of saying, well, you know, Pastor Nathan, every every week he spends 20 hours, you know, preparing a sermon, records it, and, and sends it out over the airwaves, and we can just sit, and it's all pre-digested, and it's all sorted on the plate, and it's easy to understand. Now, that's great. But God has actually called you to study the scriptures for yourself as well. God has called you. To, to know what's in this book and to be able to teach it to the people you work with, to share the gospel, to teach it to your children. Every single follower of Jesus is called to be biblically literate, to know what this thing says, to be able to teach it to others. You say, oh, I thought that was just for pastors. No, it's for priests. And you're one of them. So we need to open this book. 
We need to know what it says, and we need to be able to teach it. Here's the fourth thing, and there's more. But we priests offer sacrifices to God. The common person would be so excited, they had a great crop, they would bring some of the grain, and they would bring it to the priest, and the priest would, would offer the grain offering to God as a thank you. Well, in the New Testament, Paul in Romans says that we actually offer up our bodies a living sacrifice to God. What we do with our bodies, the things we say, the things we do, how we serve and love others is actually like an offering that we present as priests to God. Uh, In Hebrews 13, verse 15, it talks about the fruit of our lips giving praise to His name. In other words, we sing, we thank God, we pray, and those are actually offerings that we as priests offer up before the Lord. Philippians 4.18 talks about our generosity, how we give and share what we have with others. That's actually a form of spiritual offering that we as priests offer before the Lord. And Micah 6.6 6 says that our character, that when we do justice and walk humbly before God, that that is like a pure sacrifice that we offer as priests before God. So, I want to close with one passage and a couple of ideas. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 says this, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord, urge you. Paul's writing to Christians, Jews and Gentile alike, men and women alike. And he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Paul agrees. You're all called. You're called to be priests. And, and Jesus is saying, follow me. And Jesus is saying, would you, would you act out of this identity that I've given you as priests and live and walk in a manner worthy of the calling? So as we wrap up today, you may be wondering, well, maybe this is just me. Uh, you may be wondering, well, if we're all priests, what's your job, Pastor? Like, what's my job? I mean, I've, some of you maybe thought, well, Nathan's kind of like the priest guy in the church. But I want to tell you this. My job is not to be your priest. I, I'm not the one you have to get access to God through. That's Jesus. I'm not here to be your priest. Here's what I'm doing. My job is to train and encourage you and equip you to be a priest to lead your family well, to be a priest in your workplace, to be a priest in your home, to be a priest wherever you find yourself, to embrace your God-given identity and to live it out in a way that pleases God. That, that's my role. That's the role of our staff, to encourage, strengthen, and support you uh, in that. Um, the reason why I wanted to talk about this today particularly was because, honestly, uh, there may never have been another time in history, at least that I can remember, when this idea of the priesthood of believers is more important. Because of COVID-19, we are restricted to who we can see and how many people, gatherings and all of those things. And who knows how long that's going to be, but there's never been a time that I have seen in my lifetime where, where the people of God need to step up and be the priests of God. That means that, you know, instead of, instead of everyone inviting their friends to a church service to hear about Jesus, maybe God's calling you to share your faith and to share about Jesus. And you're like, well, I'm not qualified and I don't have enough verses. Well, you're going to have to study. You're going to have to open the Bible. You say, well, you know, I really appreciated church because there was volunteers that prayed with my kids. Yeah, but God is calling you to be a priest as father, as mother, as older sibling, to be a priest and, and to not only learn how to pray, but to teach those young children in your house how to pray. God is calling you in your workplace to stand up and to be a light and to be salt. Right? To, to show people what the love of God looks like. To be praying and standing in the gap. You go, but I thought the church was to do this. Yes, and you're the church. And so God is calling each and every one of us to step into our identity as we follow Jesus, to be priests unto God. It's, 
It's such, it's such a powerful idea. So we wanted to close our service today with communion. Thanks for listening to the Pathway Church Podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us, go to our website, pathwaylife.com. And as always, don't forget to subscribe. See you next week.